Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. We've heard a great deal about the great resignation. Many employees are understandably zeroing in on what they want out of a job. What is employment supposed to do for us other than give us a way to provide for food, clothing, and shelter? Should we expect more? And apparently the answer to that is yes, we should expect more as employees. We should expect, for lack of a better word, to be engaged. We should feel respected at work. We should feel valued as employees making a contribution. I think those are some of the things. Coincidentally, I had a conversation with a young man uh, this morning who said that, you know, Everyone should make $75,000 and then that would be a living wage and people would be satisfied. And I said, hypothetically speaking, if everyone made at least $75,000 and I decided to spend seventy-five my money on Louis Vuitton red bottom shoes, how would you feel about that if you were providing for your family food, clothing and shelter and your $75,000? was exhausted. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. I said, neither do I. So communication is important. Communication, exchanges of viewpoints and thoughts. That's what I was thinking. He hadn't considered those considerations. And my guest today, Victoria Du, who is the founder and CEO of Dewpoint Communications, can help us with this. Rather than explain or recite Victoria's background, her employment journey, and how she became founder and CEO of Dewpoint Communications, I'm going to let her tell you a bit about herself. Welcome, Victoria, and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Beverly, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to um and to have this conversation with you and your audience. You know, very often I speak with employers and organizations and business leaders who 
are trying to figure out how best to communicate with their employees and engage and connect with their people. And I know that your podcast really focuses on employees themselves and their journey. And so I'm excited to have this conversation and to share some of my perspective and a little bit about um, my work and some of our recent research with you and your audience. So thank you. You asked a little bit about my background and journey. I actually spent most of my communications, I've been doing this work 15 something plus years. I spent actually most of my communications career overseas um, in New Zealand, which is a wonderful place to build a communications career and a very different, obviously, context of work. And, you know, New Zealand's a very egalitarian culture and um, tends to be quite progressive, but also for a number of reasons about how the labor force works there. Internal communications or employee communications, as we call it, has been a strategic function for a long time. And that is the context that I built my career in. When I came back to this country maybe six or seven years ago, I was really surprised, I guess, at how employees were treated and how I call them sort of treated as semi-disposable. You know, I know we often focus on the, the idea of the security of a paycheck, but I'm not sure I understand what security is when you um, can have your the ability to take your kid, you know, to the doctor taken away from you by someone else. So I've never quite- I agree with you. Healthcare should not be tethered to employment. It's a very interesting. Um, it's a very interesting thing. So when I came back to this country and went to go work in corporate America, um, I found, to be honest, it wasn't a fit that I actually couldn't be a very good employee anymore because I had a lot of trouble kind of fitting into that mold, which is why I built my own company. It's ironic to me that so much of my focus is on helping companies to create great employee experiences when I myself am not that great an employee. Although now that I'm a CEO, sometimes I say I have a very mean boss, but (laughs) I try, I try. So the work that we do is about helping organizations to communicate better with their people every day, to create better employee experience. And that means so many things. Engagement is one of the ways that we measure the experience. For example, right now, you know, we're talking a lot about how companies are bringing people back to the office to work. We don't say return to work, obviously, because we all know we've been working the whole time, but um, that we are returning to the office. When you think about that, and we all read the the news, it's it's fraught because employees have a range of perspectives and opinions on coming back to work in the office. And you think about that in the office as an experience. Now, if you think about before the pandemic, we didn't really... I don't think we cared that much about whether employees wanted to come to an office every day, did we? But we sure do now. And so a lot of the work we do is in things like that, helping organizations to listen better to their employees and then communicate with them and connect with them and engage them. Because when employees are, for lack of a better word, happier, but better able to do their jobs, that's better for a business. I think, it, well, obviously, they'll be more productive, which is what I think all employers want. They want a productive workforce. I don't know that I expect happiness <laughs> from a working situation, but I do expect to be respected. I do expect my contribution to be valued. I look for happiness elsewhere. 
Well, I think, you know, it's a great call out, Beverly. And I think one of the other words we might use is meaning, right? People really do want to find meaning in their work and to feel, experience psychological safety at work and trust, trust of their colleagues, trust of their organizations, and uh, to be able to do work that's meaningful and fulfilling to them and to be able to work with people who are good colleagues to not experience uh, toxic workplaces and microaggressions. And so I think all of those things that we expect now expect in our workplace are some of the things that do contribute to being happy because we want to, so we want to be happy in our, our work so that we can be happy in our lives. And that creates a virtuous circle. It's interesting that we're talking about being happy in connection with with work because I was on an online training seminar and one of the participants said that she looked for happiness in her work. And I was kind of taken aback because that's not something I expect. I guess I it was because I've heard in the past, I don't agree with it, but I've heard the phrase employees are fungible to your earlier comment. They're mm-hmm. interchangeable, that you know, one leaves, another one will come along. And unless you have some special skill set that makes you highly marketable and that uh, I can't, as an employer, obtain elsewhere, you can walk out the door. Now, obviously, it seems that the pandemic has changed that. I guess my concern is, I don't want employees to think that employers are concerned that every employee that's resigning, that they are upset about that. There's some that they're upset about and some that they're not. Some they're probably happy that they're leaving. And I don't know that that's being conveyed. And I don't know whether you think it should be conveyed. It's a great question. I think there's a couple of things. Obviously, yes, you're absolutely right. Sometimes there is regrettable attrition. And sometimes there are, to your point, employees where you think, well, that's okay, right? I will say it is obviously, as we know, an employee's market right now. And so it can do quite well, even if the, your current role is not a place where that is, that's a great fit for you. This is a time in the market when there may be a place that is better. The other thing I think that's interesting and is somewhat surprising is that, you know, traditionally some of the, the talent that we would have thought was less marketable or less of a premium or need or less, uh, I, don't, I don't know, how, I, the word I'm trying not to say because I don't like it. And so I'm trying to talk around it, which is why I'm kind of fumbling with my words here, Beverly, is blue collar because... I don't like that, right? Sometimes people call it unskilled or lower skilled. And I find all of that to be very pejorative and not terribly useful or helpful. But you know what? I heard the term pink collar. I had never, when I started writing my books, I saw that for the first time and I said, I'd never heard that before. So if you think in terms of colors, white collar, blue collar, pink collar, does that make a difference? It does. I, I think, I guess I, where I kind of struggle there is that blue collar is, and pink collar meaning, you know, jobs that are traditionally more female dominated. It's, 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 it reduces, right? It sort of oversimplifies jobs to, you know, I don't, to colors and colors and classes in a way that I'm not comfortable with. 
I totally get it. But that's only if you don't value contributions of people who have those roles, like a plumber. I mean, my plumber is very dear to me. He showed up at my house. I was having people over for a a New Year's Day brunch, and he came when I called on New Year's Day. Now, it depends on perspective, I think, and it depends on the person. I value blue-collar positions because, you know, the people in my family were not very handy. Yeah, Maybe that's it. I don't know, but I understand your concern trades like plumbers, right? And electricians, which is, you know, (laughs) I think personally, there's a overemphasis on four-year degrees in this country when there are so many trades where, I mean, I guarantee you that plumber is doing, you know, he's doing just fine for himself, right? Absolutely. But we think about many of the roles in this country that are having trouble filling right now are, you know, in hotels and house cleaners and line cooks and servers and many of those things that really do keep the economy running, they are they enable right people to spend money and are critical service uh, roles in our society. The other thing or trend we're seeing, which is really interesting, is companies that are waiving requirements for four year degrees that would mu- in order to get good smart people who may not have a four year degree because we know that there's just obviously a, a bias, right? In in terms of that and people who can access four-year degrees are really investing in training people without four-year degrees. And that is has been a significant shift in the last, um, you know, since the pandemic. And that opportunity for people, and this is, I think why I love it is people who are smart and self-starters and interested and curious and want to learn new things. Those are the kinds of people who make great employees. And the shift for employers to recognize that and really go out and proactively recruit those people, I think is a fascinating trend. I read an article about that very thing just a few days ago. And I shared it with two of my undergraduate friends, my my college roommate and another friend. And they were interested. One does focus groups and another one does organizational development. And they were really interested in the shift. They were not aware of it and wanted to learn more about it. So as long as people keep their their minds open to the possibilities, the possibilities are endless. You just have to be receptive to doing something a little different. You think about it, right? And you always heard these saying that the jobs that our children have will have don't exist yet. Yes. And I think that's true. You know, it's funny. I, um, I'm in Los Angeles. I split my time between Boston and Los Angeles. And here in Los Angeles, a robot named Coco delivers my food. Not a person, but there's a little like robot car, kind of, it's like a little box, like a little cooler box or a heated box, four wheels that brings the food from restaurants to my house. And I read this article in the Los Angeles Times because I was kind of curious about how that and that it's piloted. Coco the robot is piloted by a UCLA student or someone or younger person who has a very strong gaming background, right? Loves to game. And they're sitting somewhere in their dorm room watching Coco on the street and steering Coco the robot with my with my sushi in it through the streets to get to me. So you think about that, right? That that shift of like here's um, a younger 
emerging professional who may be a student, may just be someone who games, but is able to earn a living from their home doing something using these skills like piloting a little robot car. And that's not a job that existed even two years ago. Their uh, public broadcasting system had programming that caught my attention. A robot was flipping burgers. Mm. And when I saw that, I was taken aback. And there was a person standing next to the robot. And I said, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, I don't know whether people are seeing this. I don't know whether people are seeing this. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's true. It was, your point there is so interesting because it comes back to people. We are at this point, right, where we say, on one hand, robots are taking all of our jobs. And they're not actually, right, as in case in point, Coco the robot is piloted by a real-life human. At the same time, what that means is there will be jobs that robots and AI and machines will take. But the jobs that, those are jobs that don't require a lot, that are more rote or more, can be easily automated, let's say. That means that, um, and this is why I love this work, that means that the jobs that we need people to do, we need them to have skills like critical thinking, being able to analyze information, synthesize information, make good judgment calls, intuition, good people skills, being able to, to work well with others, being able to think both strategically and creatively, and do a whole range of things of taking and working alongside robots, machines, etc., to help technology, to enable technology to do the things that does. And so those those skills which are um which require a different way of thinking, those are where we're seeing growth and where there's so much emerging opportunity for people. That said, and that's why when I mentioned about communications and engagement and creating an employee experience, in order for people to be able to work at that higher level, right, where they are able to connect the dots, build context, ask good questions, feel that psychological safety, that trust at work, feel valued, feel that there's meaning in their work. It requires greater communication and that requires greater commitment on the part of the employer to create that experience, create that world for that employee so that they can thrive, so that they can be more productive. And being more productive means they can, um, and that then being back to the question of happier, more engaged, they will stay longer. They will grow in their careers. They will build more skills. They will be better able to lead teams. They'll be better able to lead themselves and other people. They will advocate for the organization as well. They'll say to their friends and colleagues, hey, come work here. This is a great place to work. And on the flip side of that, we're also seeing, and I'm sure you know this, a lot more in the way of employee activism, whistleblowing, yes, uh, walkouts, right? Strikes, a lot more. Um, we know what, right? Yes. Unization. So what happens when employees are not advocates, but are detractors? And it's very bad for a brand. And I know I don't have to tell you or your audience that. So the flip side of that is the way one of the fixes for that is to fix us all some of those problems and stay focused on the way we create that engagement and communication and experience for employees inside the company so that we can mitigate some of that risk. You know, we talked about this and I know from personal experience, I've had discussions with employees who have been hesitant to respond honestly to 
surveys about employment, employee engagement. When the, the survey comes around and, and employers are seeking information about what employees like, don't like, what they would change, some employees are, are reluctant to be as honest as they want to be because they're concerned about whether they can do so anonymously. And I've been in situations where I've had to say, I've been told that it's anonymous and that there won't be an effort to find out who's saying what, how people are responding. But I don't know for a fact that that's absolutely true. And that goes back to trust, whether employers and employees trust each other to stand by their word, to be honest in their feedback, to be honest and authentic in their interactions. And that also goes to communication and experience, their personal experience with each other, experiences, I guess. It's more, it's multiple. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, the question about the anonymity and confidentiality of, of, of sur- engagement surveys, you know, I've worked in that space communicating about engagement surveys for many years. I have my understanding, my experience of it is that, yes, they are um, anonymous. In fact, they work very hard to make sure that things can't be attributed in terms of even in terms of making sure that you have a good sample size of teams so that if, sometimes when you have a smaller sample size, it could be easier to identify. And I know that survey companies, et cetera, you do work very hard to try and maintain that. The question is really exactly what you said, Beverly, and that is trust and psychological safety. The fact that you have this conversation so often with people who say, I don't trust that I won't write, and that fear of retribution and that fear of being um, there being consequences and that uh, someone taking those survey results and using them against them. That is, I think, absolutely about trust and psychological safety. It's a toxic workplace. And it is absolutely something that I would say in 2022, employees really don't have to put up with. You know, we can debate about happiness or not happiness, but that aspect of feeling psychologically safe is critical. And, you know, one of the things I think this is where the Me Too movement has such an impact in the way we work and in and that that expectation, right? We're, there are some behaviors that we know we do not have to tolerate in the workplace anymore. I'll be honest, before my communications career, my first career was in Hollywood here in Los Angeles in film and television. As a young woman in my 20s, I didn't know that. I certainly didn't. That wasn't an expectation that I had. And it's a very different context and a very different time. We know now, and I can't believe it take, it's taken so long for people to have this expectation, but we know now that your personal, your physical, and your emotional, and your psychic, and your psychological safety and integrity, that is yours, that you have every right to have that protected in the workplace. Absolutely. Well, we're running out of time, so I want to give you an opportunity to, to share what you're doing, how people can get in touch with you, because I'm sure some employers are listening. I know some of my friends are employers and and they listen to the podcast. There may be an opportunity for you to improve their, uh, their workforce, how their workforce 
feels about where they work. That's always important. I personally don't minimize that. I think it's important for people to get up in the morning and not have a pit in their stomach about where they're going to work. Absolutely. Yes. I, you know, I'm always, obviously, as you can tell, I'm passionate about this work, always happy to have a conversation, really encourage people to reach out to me on LinkedIn and set and ask questions. Always happy to be a resource and a sounding board. You know, the work that we do is working, we work with companies of all sizes from high growth startups to fortune fifties, public and private companies, nonprofits, whole range of industries and start, um, and sectors. And looking at in sizes and stages, looking at how they can communicate better with their people and, and create a better employee experience and working very closely. You know, we are the, we focus on the communications aspect of it, but more and more we're seeing how this merges and integrates with HR functions. So very often the people that bring us in are heads of HR, heads of communications, CEOs, chief operating officers, who want to start want to look at how you solve the problem, as you talked about the great resignation, certainly as top of mind for people, but also looking at how we can take the organization, the company to the next level and really help our people to do better, be better, right? And be more committed and higher performing. And that's a lot of the work that we do. If it's of interest to people, we've also recently published an insights report called The New Rules of Employee Experience and Communications in 2022. And people are very welcome to to download that from our website. In researching it, we talked to, gosh, a lot of business leaders from a wide range of industry sectors size of stages about what was top of mind for them, emerging trends, best practices, innovative approaches, and what was keeping them up at night. The people we spoke to, the leaders we spoke to, uh, touched the lives of nearly half a million American workers and nearly a million workers around the globe. So some very interesting perspectives in there. Really encourage people to, um, to download it and always feel free to reach out, have a conversation um, with us. Happy to be helpful if we can be. And as you and I discussed um, when we spoke before the podcast, don't be limited by what the direction that or the audience that's identified for information. If it's directed to employers, you should read it. You should know what employers are being told and what they're learning. If it's directed to perhaps men or women and you're not one of those, then read it anyway. Mm. There may be a nugget in there that you'll find beneficial, a nugget of information. I'm just amazed by how a scheme of misdirection, in my opinion, you know, I've started reading everything. I don't care who it's to. Well, I want to know what everybody else knows. I want to know what that group knows. I want to know what that group knows. I want to know what they're hearing, what they're reading. And it it gives me a different perspective and it better informs me. I agree. I also, and that's another reason if people are interested in this conversation, I share a lot of what I'm reading on, on LinkedIn. And, and so I, you know, I find that everyone lives in their bubbles to some extent, right? And we can't all be reading the same things or listening to the same podcasts or doing some, the more you expand your kind of 
your circle and your inputs and your influences that you, you kind of always find these sort of nuggets that you might not have known about before. So I totally agree with you. Absolutely. Well, Victoria, thank you so much. This has been a refreshing discussion. I hope that employees and people who aspire to be become employees hear this and follow your your suggestion that they go to your website and download the document. But we're going to have to leave now because our time is up. Thank you, Victoria, for taking the time to share your uh, passion for um, what you're doing, employee engagement and communications, improving communications between employers and their employees. And to the audience at large, please, if you're so inclined, leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast and consider, if you will, Uh, purchasing my new book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. And until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.